With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's back. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. And yeah, hope you've had a fantastic summer. Fulhamish is back in your lives as the 2018-19 season fast approaches. We've had this small thing called the World Cup taking our attention for the past few weeks, but we are fully back on the Fulham bandwagon. Uh, And a bit like the Fulham team currently, I'm joined by many experienced regulars and one much-anticipated debutant. Uh, Introducing Adam Farquharson to the show. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Ben Jarman is here as always. Hello, Sammy James. And Secretary Jack Collins. Hold tight for the rewind. Hello, listeners. He's renewed for a new season, which is quite worrying. Five-year deal. He's had one video blow up on Bleacher Report, and this is what happens. They put me on a five-year deal. I got an extension yesterday after after I went viral. When he thought he couldn't get any more cringe, it's happened. Welcome back, lads. Uh, lots to discuss today. Uh, all the pre-season excitement. We haven't really done a proper pod together since a couple of days after Wembley, really. So lots to discuss, of course. Uh, there's some transfers that have been incoming. Uh, Seri and Lamar Sean, and uh, soon to be followed by many more, if we uh, believe what is true in the papers. Uh, we're going to be catching up on Saturday's Fulham-Reading game. It was an absolute thriller, 0-0, uh, with Jamie Reid, uh, who was there. And also, we've got some transfer questions that we've been getting in from Instagram Live. Yes. Or just Instagram, not Instagram Live. No, that was last week. Yes. Uh, so lots to get through. Um, let's start off with... Uh, your feelings of what the preseason's been like from a Fulham perspective, Ben. Uh, what were your thoughts on the on the fixtures? First of all, Palace opening game. Uh, it's a it's a great opening game for us, and it's going to be a massive test. But there's a nice correlation between <laughs> the last game we played at Craven Cottage before we were relegated. Yeah, which is quite nice. Uh, I'm sure everyone will remember that amazing Chris David goal. Yeah, um, right in the last minute. Paulie um, Woodrow scored a screamer as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, there was a couple of good goals there. That was Corley's first ever professional goal for us, wasn't it? Scorley. Yeah, he scored so many since yeah. as well. Back, yeah. back when we um, thought he was the leading light of our new generation. We just love Corley Woodrow here, don't we? What yeah. was it like, though, Jack, when you saw the Premier League fixtures come out? It kind of gave a bit of a sense of, OK, this is, this is real now. Yeah, 100%. It was, it was really nice, obviously, to see those games and, and start to be able to plan them and look at those kind of fixtures as a an experience and start to work around them which is obviously what everyone's looking for you look for the big ones we're at home on boxing day what a nutty day that'll be <laughs> we're away obviously at arsenal on new year's day we've got chelsea away at the first weekend of december so obviously like the you know you look for those ones first and foremost and and then when you you know you see those kind of games uh, back in the fixture schedule you realize that you know we're back and back in the big time and that's obviously you know something we've been striving for for the last couple of years and it's it's, it's a good feeling adam what's the game you're most looking forward to Honestly, I'm most looking forward to seeing this again, someone like Man City. I, okay. I, I want to see... Toe-to-toe. Yeah, I mean, how much possession can we actually have against them? I mean, it, both teams are going to want to keep the ball. Uh, they've got probably better players um, than us. But, <laughs> Just. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it is marginal, but I'd like, I'd like to see Pepperwitz against them because that's kind of where we have to be at. Testing ourselves against the very, very best. Being back in the Premier League, though, it's 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 a nice feeling. I think that kind of novelty of Wembley is started to wear off now Ben and we can fully look forward to what's at stake speaking of Wembley thoughts on the uh, first away game being back at I, the I kind, of, I kind of don't want to go back because I don't want to tarnish the memories I had of that obviously probably the best out of all of our lives um, yeah I don't think that I'm overly looking forward to going back to Wembley to be honest but being back in the big time is amazing. There's something quite nice about going from being a, a big fish in quite a small pond in the championship to now being quite a small fish in a in a pond that is massive and has some of the biggest teams in the world in it. And we've got to, you know, prove ourselves against them, as, as Adam said, like trying to go toe-to-toe with the likes of City and even then trying to go toe-to-toe with like 
some of the lesser clubs but are well established the likes of Burnley and, and clubs like that it's going to be a very tough year for us but I think uh, an enjoyable one nonetheless do you know what brought it home I think a bit more than seeing the Premier League fixtures we're seeing the championship fixtures and yeah. realising that we weren't there and you looked at some of the clubs that are in that league this year and and you realise wow we're not going up to Bolton we're not going to be going up to Sheffield Wednesday mm. you know it, it, I think that was the day for me where I felt okay Fulham have really gone up a level here well, whilst we could have been planning a trip to all these kind of northern away days that we, we kind of loved in in their own special way we're thinking about trips to Goodison and the Etihad and both of where we won't win. Yeah, <laughs> we never win at Goodison. I'm excited about going to the Etihad. It's it's one of those. It, it does hit home. It's, it's reality, and you see that you know those games going on, and you see Villa there. I suppose is the one that really brings it home. You're like, oh, this is where Villa are, and this is where we are. And you know, I've got a couple of Villa fans in, in my office, and we've been talking. And the day we signed Seri, they were in for Dean Marnie. <laughs> And, you know, one, I think we broke their football club, which is, you know, a bit sad, to be fair, because you don't want to see anyone really going into administration and, and those kind of things. But like also the difference that getting into the Premier League, you know, makes in terms of the kind of calibre of players that you're looking at, even being linked with. It's not about necessarily signing them all, but the players you're being linked with compared to the players that we were being linked with this time last year is obscene. And, and that kind of really drills at home how much of a, a big deal this is. I think we showed our ambition last year in January quite clearly that where we wanted to be and I think this summer we've done that even further by one signing Seri and two even being linked <laughs> to the likes of Malcolm is absolutely unreal. You know, One of the biggest supposed wonder kids in the whole world is being linked with our club and we've also netted the signature of perhaps one of the most exciting midfielders in League 1 last season. It's absolutely incredible. I well, never yeah. think we'd do it. Well, yeah, moving on to, to Seri. I still haven't established whether it's John Michel or John Mikel. I'm at the moment teetering on John Mikel. Yeah, I think John Michael. John J- Michael. JMS. <laughs> they call him Mika. Yeah, I they? think it's Mikel. OK, Mikel. John Mikel. Just I thought with the French side, John Michel is a very... French yeah, name and Ivory have, Coast he's, he's has in it, doesn't it? And he's Ivory. Yeah, that was my thought. Okay, so, so we're, we're, we're Mikkel, deciding it's John McKell. Okay, like um, John Obi, but without the Obi and with a Seri at the end. Practically what, the same. So then he'd be John Michael Seri. No. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. <laughs> right. But it's Mikkel. I think we've made ourselves more confused. Oh, yeah, you've confused me. <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry, I mean, everyone. it's it's one of those signings where. I saw it being rumoured and I just thought, a bit like I, when I saw Malcolm uh, yesterday, the other day, and I just thought, OK, yeah, we're rumoured for this player, but we're never going to sign him. I had the same feeling for Seri. I thought, amazing, but he nearly went to Barcelona last summer. I mean, even when your man Demasio came out and said Fulham and Seri is done, I sat there and was like, absolutely no chance, despite the fact that, you know, Demasio is 170% right every single time. Easy. I think it's one of those though. We were all probably prepared that Mitrovic would be our, you know, mm. our key signing, our biggest signing, and we set our limits in our heads and went up. If Mitrovic is kind of the the ceiling here, where we that's where mm. we're going to pit below that, and then we ended up with Seri. I I think it's great news, but it shows the kind of caliber of player we're looking at. I mean, I know limited amount about Seri. I more knew about the rumours that Seri was linked with, as in nearly went to Barca, was linked with Chelsea, linked with Arsenal, and just kind of lots of top clubs around Europe without actually have seeing Seri too much. I, I, I think I'm OK to admit that I don't take in the French league all that much, despite being quarter French and having a French degree just uh, you know finding time for some league uh, football at the weekend just seems to escape me but Ben you know plenty more about Seri from what yeah. I've seen of him though he seems like a very controlled box-to-box midfielder who has a lovely eye for an assist yeah I think you summed it up quite nicely there and if any of you guys want to check out uh, an article there is one up on Fulhamish that I've written and Jack uh, Collins has quite nicely approved He's a fantastic of Fulhamish. <laughs> Basically, he is um, a very good box-to-box midfielder. He's got impeccable technique, and there's a reason why Barcelona were looking at him. And it would purely be down to the three factors of technique, um, his ability to pass, and his eye for creativity. And he possesses all three of them. If you look at his highlights package that we've put out uh, on Twitter as well, 
Um, you can just see how influential he is on the game. He's always trying to be positive with, with the ball and he's always looking forward. You get quite a, lo- a lot of those box-to-box midfielders, especially in France, that kind of like to play sideways and backwards to hold on p- to possession. But Seri's always the one that's been pushing forward and linking between the lines. Nice were really, really struggling this season. Um, they had a terrible defensive record and it wasn't until Seri came back into the team and aided by um, Cyprian as well that they started to push forward. And Seri was almost certainly one of the key factors in them rising up the table along with Balotelli. And obviously Balotelli's now gone to, or is going to, Marseille. So there's no chance we can get them to link back up. But um, Seri is absolutely incredible. And I think it's a great signing for us. I do wonder how he'll cope with the physicality of the Premier League, but he's one of these players that can and likes to find and make his own space. So I think he should be all right. He looked so good in that Nice team and part of that midfield three, which is obviously nice in in a way because it shows that he's already kind of adapted to that kind of system that involves three in midfield. And yes, he he kind of has all those different roles. He can play as a deep-lying 10, you know, in kind of almost the Kearney role, but it also allows us to play him and Kearney together in kind of double twin sort of deep-lying playmakers, which should, you know, in hindsight, whoever we have at the right wing, and and Cess allow them to exploit those channels and exploit those kind of close areas around the box. And where Seri really, really, really does well is in those channels just outside the box, being able to pick a key pass or, you know, take one touch, make some space and find that kind of shot himself. And he's not a you know massive goal scorer in terms of his record. He's not, you know, bad at shooting. Don't but... put him in your FPL team. I mean, don't don't do. not put him in your F. Uh, don't not put him in your FPL team. But it's not also like a you're not going to guarantee he's not going to guarantee you ten. He's the goals. same price as Kenny. I think you'd be foolish to put Seri in, wouldn't you? I don't know if it's foolish. It, it depends, you know, how you think we're going to you know operate this season. Are we going to play with you know lots of long range strikes from Tom Kenny, or are we going to try and slip players in? Because if you, if we're going to play that kind of way, then you you kind of think that Seri might be the man providing the assists and putting the ball on plates for people. So I, I'd be interested to see how it goes. I mean. Look, it's worth a gamble if you if you have that kind of money left over. But it's one of those things where I think that around the box and that kind of cool head in those areas is something that will kind of add to the the arsenal and it will make you know that kind of role much more impactful. I suppose no one should be listening for me to me for FPL tips anyway. I am honestly perennial bottom half. Oh, perennial more than <laughs> perennial relegation yeah, fodder. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, Adam, who do we see, Seri? Uh, taking the place of in the team. There was a bit of debate as to whether it's either K-Mac or Steph Joe. I mean, none of us want to see Steph Joe drop out of the team particularly, but towards the end of the season, if you were to look at our midfield three and which one was underperforming out of them, it was probably Stephanie Hansen. And I feel that Seri could step into his place. He's the box-to-box player. However, we have to take into account Fulham have signed another central midfielder. We, he must have a plan, Slav, must have a plan as to where he's going to fit in. It, we don't know where that is because he hasn't played, he hasn't got his work permit through to play in any of our pre-season yet. It could be that he sees some competition from McDonald and he wants to play slightly differently. We don't know that. Mm. At the end of the day, I see him taking Stephanie Hansen's place because he's not going to displace Kearney in a hurry. And I, I, I still think that K-Mac is imperative to this team. So, on the day that Seri was signed, was it Wednesday last week? Or Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. It was the day after the game. I mean, yeah, that was it. It was the day after the England game, so it was Thursday. I mean, we all kind of went into overdrive because Seri was signed. And then, like London buses, another one came along about 10, 15 minutes later, which made Adam, who does most of our graphic design, uh, (laughs) go into a temporary meltdown as he's trying to uh, fashion out images left, right and centre. We signed Maxime Lamarchand, also... Uh, from Nice, mm-hmm. from what I understand, has filled in a lot at left back. But naturally, Ben, his position is in the centre. Yeah, he is. He's uh, more of like a utility defender, I suppose. But at, at his most comfortable, he's at centre back. And I think those of you that went to Reading um, pre-season game this weekend, Aldershot would have seen him start at left back and look a little bit shaky, but then look much better when he's at centre back. And I think, as you'll as you'll refer to in my article, it's a little bit. He's a, he's very much a very composed um, centre back, and he sort of thrived in a system under Lucien Favre and before that Claude Puel, where his defensive capabilities were lean, leaned on really, really heavily. I think he's a, a player that enjoys responsibility, and being quite young, he matured very quickly, especially under Puel, um, where Nice went from basically bottom of the table to um, on the brink of European competition for the first time in absolute decades. Le Marchand is is a good passer. Um, he's very good on the ground and in the air. He's very tall. He's got some good strength. But um, as it says in the article, and as one of our listeners pointed out, 
quite rightly, he's, he's injured quite a lot. And over the last 18 months, he's seen his form dip in and out of being good and frankly quite terrible just because of his, in, his injury records. Um, nice haven't been very good defensively for the past season and he's struggled quite a lot. So I think this could be a, a chance of a sort of like a reset for him. Um, I think it's much the same as um, Tim Ream. He's got like a point to prove. Um, I think he needs to show how good he really can be. Um, how old is he? 25. Okay, so he's, he's, he's still got plenty of years to yeah, go. Yeah, but I think after that season that Nice had, he's still got a bit of a point to prove. I think my only concern is that both of them are left-footed and both of them play sort of the same way. Okay. They're Him very similar players. Yeah. Do you see him as a bit more of a backup? I think that will be, be his kind of end role but you know we also brought Tim Ream in kind of as a backup and look where he's come you know come to in Terrible. those things so it's one of those <laughs> things where you, you look at him and he obviously has the kind of temperament and the kind of ball playing ability to work in a Slav system I think that we'll see a fair bit of him if I'm honest you know to be able to they can play left back and he can play centre half I, I think that he will be a useful squad player this year and you know, it, it depends. You know how he's utilised, I suppose. But I, I see him being used as an auxiliary centre half, and I think that that will be where his main kind of point is. I think it's one of those things as well. We we don't sign enough utility players because we always sign people for positions. But you look at where people kind of thrive at Fulham. Sometimes you look at Adenis Adoy. He we signed him as a left back, a right back. He was he kind of never really found his place, and then he ends up starting the centre of our defence. Tim Ream, we thought he might have been back up. He's worked his way through, and he's our starting centre centre back. You get Chris Baird, he was imperative. You know, he's really important in mm. our Europa League run. Maybe we need that kind of player here that we sign, maybe as a utility player, but might work his way into our team. We've had a good history of players that can kind of fill in numerous roles yeah. uh, across the defence and also have hardly set the heart racing when they're signed. So maybe Le Marchand fits into that category and he becomes an imperative player to us in the Premier League and you know that would be absolutely fantastic if that's the case. That'd be great. We'd enjoy that. Other rumours that we've seen doing the rounds, I mean, there's been plenty to keep Fulham fans occupied. We almost seem to be not quite on a par with Wolves, but, you know, we, we definitely are... There's There's been some Premier League clubs jealous of the kind of rumours... Uh, that we're being linked with. I mean, Newcastle's saying you know, Fulham can sign a 20 million plus player and, and we can't. Yeah, Newcastle are in a, a delicate situation and, and the fact is that they have an owner that doesn't spend any money and it's 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 hard, you know, it's not. That's not a nice situation to be in and currently they're not a particularly attractive proposition, it seems, because, you know, they don't have that kind of backing in the transfer market and, and if you don't have that backing for one player then, you know, you can't attract the kind of likes of players that are going to come, you know, even cheaper than that because they're going to be like, I want to play with better players. And us going out and spending £35 million on on, on Seri and La Marchand and isn't just a statement of intent in terms of players, but it's a statement of intent in terms of we can go out and sign this calibre of player. We can bring them in. Who else can we now bring in? And even if those players are, you know, £10 million players, they're going to be like, OK, I want to play with the kind of talent available at Fulham and it makes you an attractive proposition to other players. And... Yeah, it's hard times up at Newcastle because Ashley doesn't spend money and and that's kind of how it's been for a long, long time. You know, Newcastle are the only club not to have smashed their own transfer record in the last, like, ten years. Since Alan Shearer signed, isn't it? So it, it makes one of those things where it's Michael Owen, potentially. They smashed it. Yeah, for one of the two. I think Owen was their record. But they haven't smashed it since. And every other club that's been in the Premier League has smashed their own transfer record by, like, a distance mm. since then. And it just goes to show that, you know, when you have that kind of person that's not going to spend money, it's very difficult to, to, you know, to make those kind of players come in. And in the inflated transfer market that we find ourselves in, it's very, very hard to, you know, work your way through it if you're not going to spend the money. Yeah, I think we also need to remember that Newcastle are, are perhaps in the midst of what is one of the longest takeover bids ever and that that still hasn't gone through. And that was meant to happen around about Christmas last year, wasn't it not, Jack? Yeah, it was. It all started about you know Christmas, and it's just dragging on, and there's a lot of people saying that the bid hasn't gone in, and then there's a lot of people saying that it has, and then there was a whole furore with, you know, is Ashley had to own two clubs before that? And it was, you know, it, it, it's basically a bit of a mess, and, and mostly feel sorry for them because, 
you know, you know what it's like when a club when a club won't spend money. And we know, you know, we felt it at the end of Al Fayed's tenure. And you know, I know it's you know almost sacrilege to say bad things about Mohamed Al Fayed, but at the end of his tenure, we were basically asset stripped, and we didn't spend money on new replacements. And look where it landed us. And then that's the kind of truth in the in the moment, I guess, is that when those kind of you know owners don't want to spend the money and can't you know put the money into the club then it makes it very difficult for the club to recruit quality players who are going to keep the club mm. afloat um ben what have been the rumors that you've liked the sounds of uh, in the past few weeks i mean there's been some very good ones i think uh zinchenko was quite an exciting uh sounding one there's been quite a few that have certainly warmed the cockles uh, Zinchenko is up there for me, for sure. Um, I've liked the fact that we've even been linked with Malcolm, as I said earlier on in the mm. programme. Um, again, I, I really like the Tim Krull rumour that we had going because he's a proven Premier League keeper. We could do much, much worse than, than bringing him in. And I think by the looks of it, we're trying to with Fabry. Um, but um, I, I would have liked to see Tim Krull arrive, someone that's got you know some real pedigree in the Premier League and can probably do a job for us um, and, and would provide good... Um, tutelage to Bettinelli as well as a good competition for him um, I'm a bit disappointed in the fact that we've seen no real concrete um, rumours for a really top class centre back although we do have Le Marchand um, and a top class full back on either side because in my opinion we're still really lacking a really good left back and a really good right back Would it not be? I was expecting Cyrus Christie really to probably make that right back berth his own I mean, I'm sort of expecting him to, but if Cyrus Christie goes down, we've not really got anyone else there other than, other than Adoy. <laughs> I won't, don't want to see Steven Cessnion up against Alexis Sanchez anytime soon. I suppose that's the kind of risk you take with bringing young players through, though. And, you know, if we'd been in the Premier League at that point, would we have seen the emergence of, of Ryan Cessnion at left back? And, yeah, you know, we're, we, you know, we're living in a time where we need to make the academy fruits prosper as well as, you know, being up to scratch. But... All signs seem to point to the fact that Steven Sessegnon is going to play second fiddle this year to, at right back, and I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Do I think he's completely ready for it? No, not really. But you know, throwing players in at the deep end has been proved to work before, and it, you know, it, you know, they obviously have the right temperament, you know, yeah, they in, do. The, in the boys, and they seem to they seem to thrive in that in that way. You've missed out one that I thought you'd talk about, which is Masakio. I mean, Masaccio is is a great guy to have on board if we do manage to get him. I've like the, the link has suddenly gone away recently, though. It's gone quiet, but it doesn't mean that, that one's finished. That was one I was True. excited by, and the other one I was really excited by was Ludwig Augustinsson, um, which also seems to have gone a little bit quiet. But you know, all sorts of post World Cup though, they might just uh, be, it might be on holiday. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes with the club and the way they conduct their business, they often go quiet just before things kind of reemerge. Um, you know, we've yeah. always, especially towards the end of the transfer window, deals will come out of nowhere for us. Um, and hopefully there are a few, as you're saying. I would I would definitely look at going for some kind of experienced goalkeeper, um, mm-hmm. mainstay centre-back. Um, we've already um, solidified our midfield. I think we're OK there, but definitely we still haven't talked about looking really at a, a right winger. No, of course. There isn't really well, Malcolm, Malcolm was the first rumour, and that one yeah. seems to have been disproved now by by Lyle um, so obviously there's that which is you know is, is, I don't think it's done and dusted and it you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far to you know speculate that that rumour is dead but I think it's probably looking more and more unlikely given the fact that it alerted so many people to the fact that he was potentially on the market and, and I think that there are clubs who will be able to persuade him with more things we were linked to the River Plate winger yesterday we were um, Petty Martinez, who is the first kind of right winger we've been linked with. He can play kind of 10 right wing. Um, he's not someone I know massive amounts about, to be honest, but you know the River Plate fans seem to be a little bit up in arms that he was up for sale, which is usually a good thing. Um, just got to say that this summer, of course, the transfer window ends it's much earlier than normal, yeah, for exclusive promotions and bets. <laughs> back, back by elaborate. Uh, head to uh, transferwindow.fullamish.co.uk. Yeah. Um, no, it ends on the 9th of August this year rather than the 31st, which I don't know if it's been terribly well documented. I know there were some articles yeah. at the time, but it certainly changes things with regards to how the window's going to work, and it means that there's barely any time uh, left for Fulham to put some deals through. I uh, just want to quickly, though, get a quick... Uh, a word on David Button. Uh, departed yesterday for Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, we seem to have a bit of a history of, of keepers 
uh, going down to Brighton. Uh, David Stockdale. Mm. Did, did Stockdale go directly from Fulham did, to Brighton? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, now uh, David Button. We had plenty of bets versus butts debate last season which i don't really want to go back into it just never seemed to work for david for right from the moment he joined almost from brentford and whilst there were some good performances in there and i don't think he was as bad a keeper as was made out in the end too many mistakes just cost him and also just great form from bettinelli i think cost him as well Massive purple patch from Bettinelli towards the end of this season, towards the end of the last season, really cost David Button any sort of reputation that he really had with the Fulham fans. And I think Slavisa wanted him to play a certain way, and that certain way for everyone on the pitch is is a risky, um, a risky way to play. That what he wants the ball at their feet, regardless of what keeper it is. If you look at the training photos from today from Evian, you've got Marcus Bettinelli playing five aside in gloves, like he's literally playing centre back. This is how he wants his keepers to play, and. Um, you know, Button will be ridiculed for that because an English football audience don't like it when the keeper's got a ball at his feet. Um, it's as simple as that. All of everyone gets tetchy and everyone says, hoof it! And that's what he does and that's what they want him to do. Uh, I do feel like Button was a, was a great shot stopper. He's actually quite an intelligent keeper and always looked to distribute the ball properly where possible. But I think once you get a fan base on your back that hard, I could see why personally he would want to go. And I could see why Fulham would want to sell, especially if you've got near on five million for a, a backup keeper. Is it really nearly five million? Yeah, it's four point five million apparently. I, I mean I, I'm that. slightly disappointed like, like that we didn't get Krull or something like that back in return, but he will have to play during the months of December and January because of the Asia Cup. They also have Jason Steele though. Yeah. He's like the worst goalkeeper ever. <laughs> well I mean you could ask a few Fulham fans, I'm sure they'd give you a different answer to that question. Sorry, Ed. This is what I was gonna say. I think it's a little bit strange for Brighton. it's a strange signing from Brighton from what I can see. I like, guess that fact I didn't know about the Asia Cup thing, the fact that they have to have a decent keeper for two months of the season actually to me now makes a bit more sense. If you if you had to sign that kind of keeper and you're a Premier League club and you knew they were gonna be playing, would you go to a backup championship goalkeeper? But who else do you go to? Because at the end of the day, you've got to sell. That's quite. That's not the easiest sell to a good goalkeeper. Okay, yes, Brighton's a Premier League club, but okay, you're joining a bottom half Premier League team. You're going to play for a month and a half, but then you're probably going to be back up for the rest of the season. I don't feel like there are too many players. If you put that into the transfer search of football manager, I don't think you'd be getting too many players coming back that's my only caveat to that so maybe David Button was probably the best they could get and also Chris Hutons he's watched a couple of Fulham games last season he probably watched Button in goal he's he's maybe thought to himself he's not working in the Fulham system maybe I could do something with that yeah. if as Ben was saying he is a good shot stopper he is an intelligent goalkeeper but he was under a lot of pressure from the hammy end hoof mm. it if he was just in a different team, a new start, maybe we'll see a different kind of David Button next season. 100%. I think, you know, you'd if you'd flipped the script and you'd got given Button the kind of encouragement that Bettinelli got <coughs> and Bettinelli the kind of disdain that Button got at Fulham, then we would have had two very different keepers because confidence is such a big thing for a keeper. You know, you know the kind of run of form that you see in keepers and the kind of hot hand theory, I suppose, is, is so... You know, prominent compared to other positions, that when a keeper gets in their head that they're on a mad run of form, they tend to stay in one for you know a long a long period of time, and it's a similar vein you know the other way in terms of you know David Button feeling under more and more pressure to to make those kind of stops, probably ended up with him you know losing faith in himself, and you know I think it's, it's spot on. He's a good shot stopper. He'll do absolutely fine for Brighton. Is he going like, to change the world and, and keep Matt Ryan out of the team? Probably not. But is he a very good keeper in terms of he'll he'll go there and he'll save shots and Brighton don't play get the ball on the floor and play it out to the centre backs. They play stick it up to you know up top and, and see if Glenn Murray can win a ha- and win a header. Then suddenly you know you're in you're in business and David Button can play that pass to, to Glenn Murray and he can also you know claim crosses and, and all those things. I, I think he'll be absolutely fine there. You mentioned the pressure though Jack and that's one thing that we saw of this World Cup one of the recurring themes other than uh, VAR and set pieces was goalkeeping mistakes and how actually when the pressure is truly on some of the greatest goalkeepers in the world they make mad mistakes Hugo Lloris Muslera in the Uruguay game not saying Caballero is one of the greatest goalkeepers in the world but it's a huge huge mistake Um, even um, De Gea Gea. so 
there's clearly a thing that when pressure is on goalkeepers, okay, I'm not saying that David Button's pressure from the hammy end was equal to the hopes and dreams of a nation, but still it very much gets reflected on goalkeepers worse, that kind of pressure. Yeah, of course, 100%. And you look at, you know, those kind of players. Muslera up to that point was having, you know, a hell of a tournament. Yeah. And, you know, you, you get further and further into a competition, obviously that pressure ramps up. And I have, I was annoyed mostly because I had him on 14-1 to 1 for the Golden Glove. And I was pretty sure who was going to win it at that point until he then dropped the ball into his own net. And so it was one of those things where, you know, you look at a player like that who's obviously been such a mainstay for Uruguay. And yes, is he the best keeper in the world in, in club in, in club level? No, of course he's not. But, you know, look at Guillermo Akoa, who somehow every four years seems to turn into, you know, Peter Unreal. Schmeichel. <laughs> and it's kind of mad that, you know, some, some people love that pressure and some people don't. And Akoa obviously is someone who thrives under that. And as we saw, there are plenty of goalkeepers that didn't feel up to, you know, holding that pressure on their shoulders. Speaking of Schmeichel, that was potentially one of my moments of the World Cup was watching Peter Schmeichel uh, celebrate every penalty save that Casper made as if it was himself. Magnificent. Beautiful. Lovely. Beautiful stuff. Bit of, family, bit of family time. Right, up next, uh, we're going to catch up with Jamie Reid, who is at the Fulham-Reading game uh, on Saturday in Aldershot. Just before uh, we go to Jamie, though, just to say uh, that if you haven't bought yourself... Uh, one of our playoff posters yet, lovingly designed by our very own Adam uh, in the corner. Uh, make sure you get one. They're only £5, and I'd like to think that they are a nice design. They are tasty. They are very good. Um, it costs costs a fiver, plus some postage and packaging. All the profits go into keeping this podcast running. So if you haven't bought yourself one yet, uh, just go to fulhamish.bigcartel.com. Uh, and you can purchase one there. Uh, we ship them to the UK, also to America, uh, and all over the world as well. So make sure you get one at fulhamish.bigcartel.com. We'd very much appreciate you purchasing one of those, and I can uh, pop down to the post office uh, and send you one of those posters. And if they you, are well nice. And if you've received nice. one as well, uh, send us a picture of it, uh, either framed or up in your house or room or work or where, wherever you've put it as well we, we'd, we'd love to see it at Fulhamish Pod okay up next we'll chat to Jamie hello I am Brad Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese I'm listening to the Fulhamish Podcast welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast Sammy James here uh, and I'm joined on the phone right now uh, by Jamie Reed. Jamie, how are you doing? Good to speak to you, man. Yeah, nice to talk to you as always, Sammy. So, Jamie, uh, you were there on Saturday, and really that's why uh, we wanted to get your thoughts today. Uh, I just wanted to hear what your first impressions were of the new side back uh, after a season break. It was a nil-nil draw against Reading, so maybe not a kind of result that gets the hearts racing. It certainly wasn't uh, Everton's 22-nil uh, that they achieved on Saturday. But what were, what were your first impressions uh, of the game? Well, in fairness, Sammy, I thought it was better than a nil-nil. There were chances at either end. I thought both sides played pretty well. It was difficult because the heat made it very tough for both sides. Lots of water breaks and players wanting to make sure they stayed hydrated. I don't think it helped as well the early injury to Tim Ream. I guess the big positive is that he's OK. There was no fear of concussion and he was able to uh, quickly come off and said that he would have liked to possibly get another opportunity to go back on. That wasn't possible, but it looked very, very serious at the time. There was lots of blood, so that was good news. And there were also plenty of other positives for me. I thought that Marek Rodek did well in goal. Cyrus Christie, very positive at uh, right back. It did change in the second half when uh, the changes took place, but uh, all in all, I think Slav would have been pleased with uh, that outcome. So we saw double cess. Uh, on Saturday, Ryan and Stephen. What were your thoughts on Stephen Sessegnon? And do you think he potentially has uh, a future in the first team this season? Maybe not as a regular starter, but certainly part of the squad, I'd like to hope. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's a good cover player. And certainly I would have expected to see more of him on the right-hand side because that's a position we more associate him with. But he can also play down that left. And it seems strange seeing shots and crosses whizzing in from the left and it coming from Stephen rather than Ryan. But to see the two of them on the pitch was uh, was very, very encouraging. Whether Slav would have wanted to see him that early, I doubt. But it was encouraging to uh, see him put in a performance. And to have them both on the same pitch shows that, uh, from a Fulham perspective, is that there's a lot of talented players coming through the academy. Hugh Jennings has put that halfway in place. And all of the young players know how to play the Fulham way. And that certainly shows from... Uh, 
when they come into the first team and know exactly what's required. It was positive as well. Matt O'Reilly seemed to have a great performance and we didn't get to see too much of him last year. Maybe one small negative of the fact that Fulham were chasing promotion and the playoffs uh, for the second half of the season was there there weren't too many opportunities to use some of the young fringe players because games were too crucial really to be making experiments in but he had a great performance in the centre of the park and he's another young prospect that it'd be great to see him get some minutes this season yeah absolutely it looks like he's bulked up a little bit and he really does look a fine fine prospect he's got a lovely left foot he was pinging passes around and suddenly you're thinking to yourself with Seri coming in you've got sort of riches in midfield because Matt O'Reilly for me does look the kind of player that could come in and be a change-up, even in the Premier League. I think he's that good. You spoke to Tim Ream and Tom Kearney after the match for BBC London. Uh, Let's first hear what uh, Kearney had to say. He seemed very positive about all the reaction that he's received post-Wembley. Very much so, yeah. He was absolutely delighted to score that goal, and I think it was fitting because it was an injury-truncated season for him. At the front end of the season, I was very concerned because we all know that if he plays well, the team tends to play well. But the concern is when you get an injury to a player like that, it does sort of affect the rhythm. And I don't think that helps early season when we weren't necessarily getting the results that we would have wanted to get. But we went into the January transfer window, we brought the players in and we were able to have that real strong finish. And Tom was obviously a fulcrum and at the heart of that. He's such a key player and he absolutely loves Fulham. He signed the long-term contract extension and it's so, so good that you've got a real club man, somebody who wants to be involved and always plays with a smile on his face. Having Tom Kearney out there performing well only bodes well for the football club. And we didn't see John Mikel Seri uh, perform on Saturday. I think there's still a few issues with his work permit to be resolved. But we did see our new defender, Maxime Marchand. Uh, where did he play during the game? And were you impressed with his performance? I was impressed with his performance. Yeah, I thought he did well. He started at left back alongside Tim Green. We know that they're pretty similar players. So he started out at uh, left back and got forward. I think he's probably more of a defensive defender than uh, Matt Target and not necessarily going to bomb forward perhaps to the effect that he did or when he was with us and hopefully will get another opportunity to play with us. But also with Seth, you know, you're expecting him to get forward on the overlap, get crosses into the box. Maybe that won't happen if Max plays in that position, but he does offer you solidity defensively. And when he moved inside after the injury to Tim Ream, I thought he did very, very well. So all in all, to get those two players in, very, very encouraging. We saw the opportunity of uh, watching Terry, admittedly not out on the pitch, but we saw him walking around. And the positive for me is that he's a great, great signing. Said that he was delighted to be with the club. Not the greatest English to start with, but uh, can speak uh, the language. And that's encouraging as well, because you certainly want him to be able to fit in straight away a player of that undoubted quality. Jamie, thank you so much for chatting to Fulhamish today. Are you looking forward to the Premier League and are you still going to be doing the commentary with Jim every game? Yeah, very much looking forward to that. It's a massive opportunity, isn't it, to get a go again in the Premier League. It's been four hard seasons away, but to get the chance to uh, get another go really is encouraging. Yeah, delighted to say that uh, I'll be alongside gentleman Jim again. And every day is a pleasure when you're in the company of uh, the great man. It was good to see him again at the weekend. I'm very much looking forward to uh, being back in the top five. Good stuff, Jamie. Hopefully speak to you a few more times in the season. Give Jim my best and uh, cheers for coming on Fulhamish. Look forward to it. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Adam, Ben and Jack. Yo, yo. One yo. of Jack's creepy little uh, put-together things of Tim Ream from last year. Still going strong. Yeah, well, I haven't got a new one yet, but we will do. Don't uh, worry. Ben wrote some lyrics for you the other day. Yeah, no, I'm working on it. I'm working on getting some music behind it. No, they weren't good enough for him. Bit of Drake, I If hear. it's good What's enough for Drake? you, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for two. Yeah, that's it. Well, uh, before we end the podcast, I think we should do some questions, which came in yesterday... Uh, via Instagram. We did a new feature that we're going to be trialling out until the transfer window closes called Transfer Tuesday. Transfer Tuesdays. Which went down uh, 
went down fairly well actually we've got quite a lot of questions in so yeah, we've got loads let's answer a few of those that we haven't quite got around to answering on instagram or even if we answer the same questions again it's hardly uh end of the world stuff if you want to follow fullamish on instagram just uh go to fullamish pod just search for it on instagram and uh give us a follow we're over two thousand now we're in the big leagues big time jack you doing the questions oh yeah yeah sorry i thought i was gonna get an introduction Normally you introduce me before I do the questions, Sam. Oh, sorry. Secretary Jack, would you like... Senior Secretary Jack, would you like to do the questions, please? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. Okay, let's start with uh, one which is pertinent to the podcast uh, as and our last podcast. Um, Reese Parkinson says, is Piazon gone for good or are we loaning him again? Oh, yeah. Make sure you listen to our Piazon interview if you haven't. Yeah. Um, well, I, I thought the indications from when we chatted to Lucas, both on air and off air, he didn't give us too much off air that he didn't really say on the podcast, which was kind of the theme of uh, of the interview, really, which is what's made it so great, uh, in my view, was that he definitely would like a move back to Fulham and it didn't look like his future was at Chelsea. I think he made that last point abundantly clear whether that means he moves to Fulham I guess is kind of out of his hands it sounds like he'd like that move to the Premier League uh, and he'd like that to be with Fulham I don't think he'd be starting every week for us but this is potentially his opportunity to break through at a Premier League club rather than being just some perennial championship loanee so for me it looks like a good and a deal that's likely to happen but I guess we'll wait and see. I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that comes through late on once Fulham have assessed all options and, and know exactly what will be able to come in and what won't. I don't know if Fulham will want to cash their chips too early on the Piazon transfer, if you see what I mean. Maybe we're waiting on a triple homecoming deal. What? Piazon, Calas, Calas and Target. Mitrovic. Oh, Mitrovic. Oh, well, no, yeah. Quadruple. Quadruple homecoming. <laughs> quadruple homecoming deal for the lads. That'd be nice. That would be nice. We'd like that. Okay, well... well what ben, about Ollie Norwood? Piazon coming home? No. The quintuplet. <laughs> think, I think if Ollie, if, if Piazon was coming home, then he would have been home by now. Fair. Adam? I think I think you're probably right in that. Um, I think he's good to have as a backup option because the whole time that he hasn't officially left Chelsea, he's definitely an option for us to look at. But I think if it was going to happen, we might have heard I, about it. I'm now. not sure that is necessarily the case, that he'd definitely be back already. I think, Especially with all the unrest at Chelsea. I just think that Fulham will be looking at lots of options and waiting to see what they've successfully brought in or not and then making a decision thinking, well, we know we can get Piaz on if, he wants, uh, if, if, if we need him and we know he would want to come. I guess the only risk of that is Piazon getting a good offer somewhere before that and he goes, I'm not waiting around. Yeah, it seems, it seems reasonable to be. But, like, you know, they've only put a manager in three days ago. You know, he's yet to assess that squad, see who he wants, who he doesn't want. And, do you, and do you really think that Chelsea would care about that? No, but they didn't have... And because they don't have a director of football anymore... They don't care. Yeah, but I think they would have just been very confused and there would have been lots of, like... I don't think... And by the, you know, by the looks of what was going on, it didn't look like anyone was running the club. It looked like absolute carnage. I don't think it's necessarily they wouldn't say, no, we don't want to take bids on players or anything like that. I think it's more just like... They were probably just like, hold out, we'll, we'll deal with this once we've sorted our own like, yeah, gaff like, out. Lucas is already... He's already admitted to you that when he's doing the pre-season, he's not doing it with the first-team squad. He's with a bunch of players that Chelsea are basically saying, OK, we don't want you guys going train together for a bit and, you know, we'll see what happens. No, but, you know, he did, yes. He said that that was what normally happened. He said at the moment it's just fitness, so everyone was together. He's literally posted pictures of him training with, like, the loan squad. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, but at the, at the moment it's fitness, so Jack, everyone's together. It's not coming back, mate. OK, all right, fine. Um, <laughs> it's not coming home. It's not coming home, <laughs> Yeah. No. In fact, it's fully not coming home, yeah. All right, um, mate. It's, been, it's only been a week. Still a bit of a sore subject. Well, this one's from fvck.alval. He says, how much of our transfer budget do you think we've spent? I don't think we have a budget. Martin, that's the truest words that have been said all podcast. Thank you. <laughs> what are you calling me and Jack liars? I said it's not coming home. <laughs> well, it's definitely not coming home to Dublin, is it, Jack? I think <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in Dublin to begin with. <laughs> um, I, I think that you're right in a sense that I don't think the Khans are working 
really of a budget. Of course, there's there's always a maximum to everything, but I think they will put the money that is necessary for the players that they want to get, in a sense. If they really want player X and player X costs this, they will find the money from somewhere. I don't know how much FFP comes into play anymore. I was going to say, it's still massively in play. You can't break it, otherwise you get a massive fine. But, you know, I'm sure signing Seri, Malcolm, Neymar and Gerard Piquet probably going to outweigh any financial fair play fine we ever get. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with with all of those points. Uh, Sam Crosby-Brown, how many more signings are we likely to see before the end of the season? Rough estimate, Sam? I'd be happy with... I think four or five more still, uh, at the very least. When you think about... It's more the positions, though, I think is the key thing here. I think, as Ben has alluded to, I think signing a top-quality centre-back is the most important thing we can do. We obviously need to find ourselves a striker, uh, and right wing hasn't really been sorted. Full-backs would be a nice little addition, um, and then a couple of backups throughout the squad where there, where there's a lack of depth clearly keeper at the moment is is one of those uh, positions so I would have said uh, four or five minimum Adam? I think I would have said at the start of the season we would have uh, like start of the transfer window I would have been looking at around you know six or seven but when the, you look at the quality of what we've brought in I think we may be looking at better quality players and maybe slightly less of them so I'd, I'd imagine another four or five I think I'm going to hedge my bets at six um, six pers- more. Six more, personally, yeah. Um, I think if you write down what team we're going to have on paper come the opening game of the season, there's way too many question marks there than f- people that are actually of Premier League quality. So I wouldn't be surprised if we got you know a fair amount of backup. Also, if you look at how big our squad is, it's 18 players, if that, senior players. I think... Uh, it needs uh, to be fleshed out. I somewhat. agree with you. I, I think that realistically we need players but I don't know how many we will actually bring in I can see us bringing three or four more players permanently and maybe two loans in Mm. Uh, I think that we've kind of forgotten about the loan market a little bit which is potentially a little bit silly like I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of loanies coming in I know that Harry Wilson's now linked with Derby but at first I thought that was um, yeah yeah but in, in terms of I thought that was going to be a a thing that we might have pursued because he looked a cut above championship level last year Uh, and you know you you look at what Huddersfield did with their loans last season and you can see that it's a a strategy that that does seem to work so I I could see us bringing a couple of loans in as well It's full and we always have a couple of loans Yeah I think so I think so This one's quite a harsh one but I'm going to you know read it out Harry Drewitt says going up to the Premier League you need to be ruthless do you think K-Mac needs to be replaced? That hurt. Yeah, I know. Do you think K-Mac needs to be replaced? I felt like a a piece was already missing. Mm. Um, Does he need to be replaced? I think he, if anyone, none of the games last season did, I think, oh, you know what, this game would be better if Kevin McDonald wasn't there. Yeah. So at the moment, I don't think that he needs to be replaced. I think that he needs backup, though, because we relied on him far too heavily. If we were to sign another central defensive midfielder, then we could look at that point. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I completely agree with Adam. I do worry somewhat about Kevin McDonald's startling lack of pace in comparison to some of the attacking midfielders and wingers in the Premier League, but I think that his understanding and reading of the game might just save him. Um, I do think we'll probably get a supplementary DM in there. There's already quite heavy rumours that he might already be on the way out, actually, and back down to the Championship, which I'd be really sad to see because personally I love him. So, yeah, it's a bit of a sad one, but well, we'll see come August the 9th. Fulham might be sliding in the DMs. <laughs> Almost as worse as Jack Collins. I love that. Stop it. <laughs> there we are. It's a loving. It's a loving. Um, most of the other ones we've kind of dealt with. That kind of right back situation. We've dealt on Button. We've talked about Malcolm. Someone said, "Is AK forty seven on loan?" I can comfortably say the answer to that one is no. He is very much a permanent signing. Um, and but I've heard he is a gun for hire. <laughs> Come on, you criticised me two just, seconds ago. You've loved the tone. I'm going to lower it even oh, more. Fair enough. Right, that's pretty much it. Nice someone, one. Hang on, just before we end. Someone asked, is Jallo going to get Premier League game time? Absolutely fucking not. I just really, regardless. You've just ruined our non-explicit label on iTunes. I cannot wait so to see Jallo start against Crystal Palace. And just dominate to see your reaction. I'm, yeah. like, I'm literally, if that happens, within the first 30 seconds, I'm running on, I'm throwing my season tickets. <laughs> <laughs> 
You heard I it don't care if it was 650 quid, it's going in his face. Slav, you know what to do. Yeah, you <laughs> do it. Season tickets are gold dust, mate. You yeah. can't just be going lobbing those around anymore. Oh, well. Dominate, dominating Christian Benteke in the Should air. Gambled on Marcelo Jallo, the boy. <laughs> First goal scorer. Yeah. Right, well, thank you for listening to the first Fulhamish back of the new 18-19 season. Bit rusty. Yeah, it does feel a bit rusty. I feel like I haven't done one in a while. So uh, uh, thank you for bearing with us uh, for all this time. Up until the new season, we haven't quite worked out our pod schedule yet. We'll probably be looking to do one a week. Ish, yeah. One every 10 days at a, at a minimum. Ish. So, And then once the regular season starts, though, we'll be back to two podcasts a week, Fulhamish on a Monday and then Fulhamish Extra uh, later on in the week. But for now, we'll at least do uh, one a week because I imagine things are going to get pretty busy in the old transfer market. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? Yes. You'd if, hope so. If not, then we'll be doing a podcast... Complaining about the fact we haven't signed We are very busy. So one way or another, uh, there'll be some stuff to talk about. Uh, So, Jack, how about a pod name? Have we had a thought about that? No. Are you serious? There we go. Straight off the cuff. Improvisation from Jack J. Collins. Approved. Michael or Mikel. (laughs) (laughs) Which was the main talking point of this entire podcast. What John John Mikel series name actually is. Um... If you haven't checked out Jack's little debut on the Bleach Report football account, uh, it is well worth a watch. And it is also well worth a dive in the old comments in reply because they are also uh, nearly as funny as the actual video itself. I feel really mugged off. <laughs> That's really harsh. I got, I got a lot of abuse in the Bleach Report comments section. Like deserved, a lot of abuse. Deserved abuse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, completely deserved. But, you know, that's me, isn't it? It is is funny, though, Jack. Well done. Right, uh, Fulhamish should be back next week. Uh, We will let you know. Just follow us on Twitter and Instagram for all the details. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. I think a round of applause for Adam on his debut as well. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Iconic debut. We'll see you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Doodles. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends. <laughs>